out there at Cover Stories with Just Life listeners. This is Dan Lucas, who's been the host of this podcast since April of 2018. However, effective with this episode, I am turning over the reins to our brand new Just Life editor, John Hartman. It was always my intention that this show be hosted by the Just Life editor, who at the time, and back in April of 2018, was me. But shortly after I started the podcast, uh, we created a new position, Director of Strategic Communication, that I was put into, and I did continue hosting the show, even though I was no longer technically the editor. But now that we have a person who is very interested in taking over this show and who's completely capable of handling the duties, it's time for me to go. You can still listen to me on the second Tuesday of each month on my One Move at a Time podcast, where I talk to people who are advancing our mission statement. I'm very proud of what we've accomplished with our family of podcasts here at US Chess. Uh, Not only do we have this Cover Stories podcast on the first Tuesday of each month and my One Move podcast on the second Tuesday, we've grown to fill up the entire month with Jen Shahadi's Ladies' Night on the third Tuesday and Pete Karyanis's Chess Underground on the fourth Tuesday. I uh, hope that you continue to listen to all of our family on podcasts on a weekly basis, and I hope you have fun listening to a brand new host on Cover Stories with Chess Life. So with that, take it away, John Hartman. Welcome to Cover Stories with Chess Life the U.S. Chess Federation's podcast that goes behind the scenes and more in-depth about each month's Chess Life magazine cover story. Make sure to listen to our family of U.S. Chess podcasts, which includes One Move at a Time on the second Tuesday of each month, where Dan Lucas talks to people who are advancing our mission statement, Ladies' Night, which drops on the third Tuesday of each month, hosted by our women's program director, Jennifer Shahadi, and on the fourth Tuesday of each month, Chess Underground, hosted by our assistant director of national events, Pete Karagianis, in which he examines the game's eccentricities, peculiarities, and theoretical novelties. All can be found at the podcast link on Chess Life Online at uschess.org, or you can subscribe via iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Vignesh Panchanatham is a rising junior at Princeton University, majoring in economics. A man of many interests, as we will see in our interview, Vignesh is an international master and the lead author of our June 2020 cover story, devoted to the four amateur team championships. Vignesh wrote uh, both about and played in the Amateur Team East. While his academic achievements are fantastic, and we will discuss them at length, This is a chess podcast, so it's important to note that Vignesh became an international master in 2016, earning his final norm at the 2016 World Open. He tied for first at at both the 2016 National High School Championship and at the K-12 section at the 2017 Super Nationals. Vignesh describes himself as a fledgling sports journalist, per a recent description that I saw, and he's written for U.S. Chess extensively, including an article in our June issue on college chess, and a number of stories for Chess Life Online. So I'm sure you're asking yourself this question as I was, how on earth does he do all of this? Well, perhaps I should stop talking and ask him. With this, let's welcome Vignesh Panchanatham to the show. Hello, Vignesh, how are you? I'm doing well, how about you? I am excellent, thank you. So you are the author of our lead story for the July issue. Has your July issue shown up yet? Uh, I don't think it has yet. Okay. Well, it'll be there any day when we're recording this on the 30th. And uh, yeah, it's um, about the amateur team championships that were held this spring. And in particular, you wrote the lead story on the amateur team East or the world uh, amateur team championship, as some people call it. 
So take us through your experiences at the event. What was it like? Um, who'd you play with? Uh, give us all the details. Sure. Um, so I'm originally from California. So before um, going to college, I pretty much extensively played in the um, amateur team West. So my freshman year of college was my first time actually playing in the um, in world amateur team. Um, Princeton sends multiple teams every year. Um, in my freshman year, we actually we sent three teams and actually won the tournament. And then sophomore year, um, that's this year, we sent four. Um, and um, three of our, our teams were uh, were rated twenty one ninety five average when we got to the tournament. So we knew that we had a good chance at defending our title again. Um, some of our teams fell off uh, the wagon a little bit early, got upset a little bit, but um, our top team was still standing in um, in the final round on the top board. And um, so I was on our second team. So I was playing while all this was happening. Um, but our top board faced off against um, uh, SIG, um, the the trading firm. And I actually know um, Atulia Shetty, who was there top board so that was definitely an interesting matchup for me obviously my my loyalties uh laid with princeton but i was really um it was it was definitely a cool matchup to see as as the final round something that i was definitely um very invested in especially because um i was covering it for for chess life um that was definitely one of the most most eventful final rounds that i that I had seen in a in a team tournament, the the round was deadlocked and kind of swung in in Princeton in our favor. Um, but then a couple of blunders just turned the tide, and um, there, uh, Atulia ground out our our top board in in a time scramble. Um, so this is definitely like a lot of people in contention, a lot of people wanting very different results, um, and definitely <laughs> fitting for the 50th anniversary of, of the world amateur team. And I, I think you annotated the key game for the chess life article, correct? Right. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. I think it's, um, I think readers are going to find it very interesting. All the twists and turns that, that are taken during the game. And, uh, I think your description is, 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 um, you, you did a, a good job of setting the scene in the article and, and sort of laying out all the drama. Now, you were the second board on your team, correct? Right, yeah. So you were on Princeton Orange. Who did you play with? Um, so our top board was, was Andrew Tang, which, um, which was nice for me because normally I end up playing first board at these tournaments, but I got, um, I got a chance to play second board, let Andrew take on all of the, uh, the tough opponents. And then we had uh, Zach Holacek on um, board three and Rebecca Giblin on board four so it was very very top heavy team um two titled players on the top two boards and then um kind of flanned out at the bottom um basically that kind of put put us in a situation where our um our top boards kind of had to carry the load um and that that's kind of what hurt us a little bit i think both andrew and i were a bit rusty during the school year and weren't on form during the the games that we needed to be um so we got upset pretty early on now that leads into an interesting question from our best question winner, Timothy Serapica. Serapica. Um, there are a lot of different ways that people try to construct teams at these team events, as I'm sure you're aware from your experience with the West. And so right. Timothy asks, he says, as an amateur chess player, uh, 
is it better to have four 2199 players on the team, three 2600s and a thousand rated player, or is there some other combination that seems optimal for this kind of team? So I think three 2600s and a thousand rated player isn't allowed because of like rating gap between the third and fourth boards. I think it ha- that has to be, um, a thousand points at most. Correct. Yeah, there, um, there was um there. There's a famous story about a, a team that had Karpov on it. I think. Okay. And it was Karpov and Henley, and it might have been Arena Crush. And then they recruited a you know a five year old who was rated about eight hundred. <laughs> and uh, I, I think they decided after that maybe that was not the the fairest way to go about the, the the situation. But so so team construction. If that if that's not allowed, what do you think is a good idea? Um, I think the best team construction is like an on form, um, an on form, like 2,400 level player. And then kind of, um, scale down as needed, like 2,300, 2,150, 2,000. Um, the 2,400 should be able to hold off, uh, or get victories against most, most board ones. The 2,000 should be in a good spot against, um, most, most board fours to get a draw against the teams that are a bit more balanced or to beat the teams that are a bit more more stacked. And then the middle two boards, um, hopefully between the two of them should be able to make, make some kind of result happen. Okay. Yeah. I know there are a lot of strategies that people try to go with. So this sounds pretty reasonable to me. Um, how did you play? How, How was your result? How do you, how do you think it went? Uh, I'm not remembering everything exactly. I know that, I was enjoying myself, but that doesn't necessarily mean I was playing the best chess. Um, I, I think I definitely like blundered away some games, but uh, I think I had a good time and it was a good tournament to be playing, especially because I was with a lot of my, uh, my friends from the Princeton chess club. Um, that that's, I guess what I'll say. Yeah, it's um for anyone who's not been to the amateur team East, it's it's uh, quite an experience. So I'm I'm curious if you can sort of describe what your sense of the whole show is like because it it really it really is a big show. Yeah, definitely. I think um, the one thing about the amateur team East is it's it's huge. It's like comparable to to super nationals that that I've gone to, which is probably the biggest tournament that I've ever been to. Um, but like amateur. Team West, we have maybe, um, it, it's just, the amateur Team West just ends up being a lot smaller than than the Team East. There's just so many people um, just talking to each other. I've seen so, um, like, the things that I got out of the amateur Team West, I was focusing a little bit more on the chess aspect, but I got to see so many people from all different, um, from all kinds of states that I normally wouldn't have seen um at the the team east and i think that's that's kind of the biggest thing there's always something going on there's people walking around everywhere um it's extremely crowded that's that's probably the one (laughs) one downside i think um i was talking to steve doyle and he was saying like there's no bigger um event space in in new jersey so like they have to keep it here and they have to cap the cap the entries because there's just not enough room for for more people to come yeah, it's um, it's shocking how many little rooms they managed to cram people in to try to get everyone involved. I this this was my first time, as you wrote in the article. U.S. Chess sent a team, and right. uh, it, it was um, it was an eye opener. I, I really enjoyed myself, and 
Um, I, I certainly would encourage anyone who is interested in, in having a good time with their friends to to go and check this out when, when we are able to play chess over the board once again. Uh, so this, this wasn't your first piece for Chess Life, though, or, or for Chess Life Online. In the June issue, you had an article on college chess. So can you take us through the main points uh, of that article? Yeah, that was something that I'd been wanting to write for a really long time. Um, I was, I mean, I, I think it was like maybe eight or nine when I was first in- introduced to the idea of college chess. I used to fly out to Dallas quite a bit for, for tournaments, and I would see... Um, all the UT Dallas um, players playing, and they were kind of that the top program at that time. And then as I've gotten older, I've had a chance to play in some invitationals, um, play against a lot of the players that are now on on those college teams. And when it came time for me to um, decide on college, attending a school that had a strong chess program was was a consideration um ultimately not what i decided on but um it was something i was definitely really interested in and i think it was really unique for me because i've covered a lot of uh, um like like collegiate sports throughout my other writing and like the people who are playing those sports kind of are exclusively for those sports they're um they're college athletes very much playing only against other college athletes whereas in chess, it's really interesting because even these top these top programs that have that have scholarship teams that are dedicated um, that have ted- dedicated chess scholar athletes, they're playing against um, people from from every other school um, in the country, not just the other other teams with funded programs. Um, and I thought that juxtaposition was really something that would be interesting to cover. And I had a chance to talk to a lot of the different um, top college coaches, administrators that kind of gave me um, a better understanding of why college programs are, are important, how they came about, um, what what effects there are, and like why, why schools kind of keep them around. And um, so I actually learned a lot by doing that, that article. So something really near and dear to my heart, and I'm really glad that I got it out. Yeah, it's it's a uh, I think a very thought provoking piece. There's a lot of good information, and uh, I definitely encourage our listeners to go check it out in the June issue. Um, we asked you to update it a bit before we published it. To, we asked you to add a sidebar. Why was that? Uh, so I think that something that was I mean everyone's experiencing right now, but coronavirus has kind of basically caused the chess scene to turn on its head like a lot most of the serious events that have happened in the past have really been um over the board we've had um the pro chess league that kind of uh that definitely took off as a speed version of chess that was um exclusively online but for the most part um chess has really revolved around physical presence and i i updated the article with a little bit about what what college students are doing um, on in the online world with with chess, and it's actually um, interesting timing because uh, earlier this year um, there was a new new um, collegiate chess league started that a lot of different colleges across the the nation participated in. So obviously, there's the um, Pan Am Championships that a lot of schools um, attend in the winter, but this was an opportunity that no one really had to fly out to. It was all 
um, online and uh, teams had a chance to compete against each other and specifically in divisions as well. Um, so that was something that was interesting. I think something else that we're kind of seeing um, even now, uh, I think it's updating the article a little bit more is we're seeing a lot of collegiate students um, starting to stream on, on Twitch um, use, use their online platforms for, for chess, both um, just to show off their skills and, and have fun with friends, but also for, um, for other, for, for other causes. And I think that's, that's something that's really developed in, in the past few months, and it's great to see. Yeah, and uh, we will be covering the the Twitch phenomenon uh, extensively in the August issue. So to look ahead to that, I think uh, that might dovetail very nicely with this podcast. Sounds uh, good. Journalism isn't your major, but you do no. have a, a very serious interest in it. Um, doing my research, I noted some bylines for the Daily Princetonian. Uh, you have a photo credit in The Nation. Um, I understand that your grandfather may be an influence here. So could you talk a little bit about him and about why you like to write? Yeah, so my my grandfather was a was a journalist and, uh, and a historian for a long time. He he was writing books up until um, a few years ago. And um, that kind of really, really inspired me. I always knew that journalism was something that I was interested in, even in elementary school. And um, I took a chance to kind of pursue that, taking some classes in in high school. Um, ultimately, decided uh, after a year that I wanted to pursue some other business organizations um, instead. But oh, when I went to college, that was something that I I decided that I kind of missed out on and wanted to take advantage of it. And it it's really I really enjoy kind of putting piecing together articles, like very much wordsmithing, figuring out what, what word would be the, the best fit. Um, I think it's like people kind of talk about, about writing, um, a little less analytically, but for me, it's always been a little bit more like, like a puzzle. Um, and that's something that, that I've enjoyed kind of figuring out what words fit where, what paragraphs we should we should move around. Um, and yeah, I, I guess that kind of dovetails with, um, my, my main area of focus in journalism is, is sports probably in part because of chess. Um, I, I ended up writing, um, quite a few articles for, uh, Bay area chess when I was in, in high school, kind of doing some tournament recaps, um, for them and then kind of took on that like event coverage, um, aspect when I went on to to Princeton, um, writing about some football games, uh, profiling some some of our our athletes, and talking to a few players who had gone professional as well. So that that lets me uh, let, lets me uh, well, I, I know I know as the young people say, you may not want to flex on this, but I'll flex for you. You are at Princeton, of course, which is a um, pretty nice school, I guess. So you're there, but you you grew up in California and. Um, you cut your teeth in chess all around the Bay Area. So can you take us through that story, how you got started, who you worked with, uh, who the chess punks are, <laughs> and, uh, and, and how, how your improvement really uh, took off? Yeah, so um, I started playing chess on my fifth birthday. My dad um, gifted me a set, and we would play, uh, we'd play every, every day for about a year and a half, and 
eventually I started beating him. And then at that point he decided to, um, to set me up with a coach. So my first coach was, uh, was Ted Castro and he kind of helped me out for, for a few years, taking me, um, taking me to, I think maybe 1600. Um, and then from there I, I bounced around with, with a few different coaches, um, Andre Nikomadikosian, Mel Kachian, uh, Dan Bojkov. Um, and then near the, near the end of my, I guess, high school chess career, um, I was pretty much m- mainly working with, with Sam Shankland. So a lot of, uh, a lot of different coaches helping me out. Um, the chess punks is a group of, of Bay area kids that all kind of came up together in the chess scene. Um, Alan Balin, uh, Kesa Vishwanada and Cameron Wheeler, um, were kind of the, the core ones. Um, we were all around the same rating till about 14, 15. We traveled to, um, world youths together. We had like training sessions. We, we would do camps. We, um, our parents would bring in, uh, grandmasters to, to teach, teach the four of us, um, along with a few other Bay Area kids together. Um, so that was kind of a, a core group, uh, of kids that I, I'm still friends with that kind of came up together with in the, in the chess scene. Um, we were rivals, but also friends. Um, we played each other a lot. I think I played multiple of them, multiple of them in during national championships, but, um, even then we're, we, even while we were competing, who would be the first to win nationals, who would be first to get FM, IM, whatever title it was, we would always like come together to celebrate those achievements. So it was just like a really nice, um, community, um, to be, to be a part of, to have people kind of pushing you to, to get better. Do you think that's important for improvement to have like a, like a training group or a network of friends who are all sort of working towards the same goal? I th- yeah, I think it, I don't know if necessarily a, a training group is, is necessary, but I think it always, um, is nice to have like a friendly rival, someone that you're striving to be, but at the end of the day are, are friends with, I think that kind of competitive spirit really drives you, um, drives you to get, to get better. And I'm wondering, um, among the list, you know, the list of coaches you mentioned, um, certainly a, a very uh, impressive list, but. Uh, what was it like to, to work with Sam Shankland? Uh, I mean, he's so strong. Uh, he was n- number five or number six in the country. Um, wh- what was it like to work with him? What, what sorts of things did you do? So we would do um, a lot of a lot of training positions and, and training games. Sam would kind of set up a. We would we would do a few tactics, a few puzzles to kind of warm up, and then he would set up some kind of position. We would end the call, and then we would kind of play through. Um, he'd give me time to think, um, and then we would play through some different positions, um, helping me focus on different strategies and, um, and skills essentially. Um, it was really, it was very like interactive. Like he would, he wouldn't really hold back. He would push me to, to do better. And like, if I made a mistake, like whenever the game would end, we'd, he explained to me like what I should should be doing. And then we'd go back and play, um, play the position out again from, from where I made a mistake. So it was very much like emphasizing, emphasizing, getting better, emphasize working on actual skills, like not just book reading 
it was very much like interactive, go practice, go, go actually do stuff. I, I do have to ask, since I, I was the review columnist for many years, um, were there any books that you felt were particularly helpful or, or are you not a book guy at all? Um, I think when I was younger, I went through like Silman's Endgame Manual, Dvoretsky's Endgame Manual. I actually really enjoyed um, two of, uh, of Danya Naroditsky's books, um, Mastering Positional Chess, and I'm, I'm forgetting the second one, but I, I went uh, com- through those. Uh, complex Endings. Complex Endings, yeah, yeah ma- I went through those. Complex Endings. Yeah. Yeah, I think I really enjoyed those because the language was very was very understandable. It wasn't as necessarily technical as some of the other books, which just have a ton of variations. Um, so I really did enjoy enjoy those books. Um, but towards, I think that was more earlier on, maybe until like fourteen. After that, was more like database learning. I don't know if that was necessarily helpful or not, but um, that's I kind of stopped reading chess books after that age. So there was a very revealing profile of you at the Harker School newspaper, which is where you went to high school. <laughs> yes. So uh, in, in the course of my research, I, I have to ask some questions about that. But first, sure. David, David Liu wants to ask you about playing chess and football in high school. <laughs> so um, does he mean soccer by that, or does, does he mean American football? Um, so I actually played, played both. Um, my freshman and junior years, I played um, – I played football for for high school. I actually transferred schools in uh, in sophomore year, so I was playing. I played football my freshman year, then I ran cross country sophomore year, and then played football again junior year. And then um, my parents wanted me to focus more on college applications senior year, so I wasn't able to play play football. Um, but my my school is a small private school, so they kind of had this policy where seniors are able to make it on um, to teams, not necessarily play a lot, but uh, you just get to be on the team, kind of go to practice and sit on the bench and play like in garbage time. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and a ton of my friends were on the soccer team. So my senior year, uh, I tried out for the soccer team and uh, got quite a few minutes. Um, our team was really good that year. So whenever we were up like by three goals, I would get a chance to go and play like 15, 20 minutes. Um, I ended up scoring goals. So that was a lot of fun. Um, I think related to playing sports and, and chess at the same time, it was really only, I kind of scaled back on, on chess uh, during after, after sophomore year, really. Um, so freshman year, I, I, I think I missed out like on two games because I went to the world youth. Um, but I don't think sports were ever really my, my priority. It was more something fun that I could do to, to stay in shape. Um, and, and chess kind of always came, came before it. That was one of the things I noticed in the article was that it seemed like you had a, a very healthy attitude towards improvement where you were always willing to do more work to improve yourself. Is, is that a mindset that comes naturally to you or, and, and how do you try to maintain that? Uh, honestly, like, I think it's habit at this point. Um, I mean, as, as a five-year-old, like I was playing chess every day, um, trying to improve. And then like, especially in my younger years, I was putting in like a lot of hours into, into chess, like three or four hours a day and that's not like the kind of discipline that everyone has um 
I think like a lot of the younger chess players, a lot of the younger the athletes that really start young and dedicate themselves um, to training kind of have that. But once those habits are formed, it's it's kind of hard to like let go. Like at this point, I very much don't like to to lose, don't like to fail at anything, and I will do whatever is necessary, like not to let it happen. And I think that's one of the main benefits that that chess really taught me. Um, well, I, I have to ask, uh, what was the year long abs for Laguna campaign on? Snapchat? <laughs> um, yeah, it was, we, our senior year, um, our entire senior class takes a trip to Laguna beach for about four days. So there's a kind of, uh, campaign that starts up second semester, senior year that all the seniors are trying to get in shape to, to go to the beach. So, uh, it was something that I, I really wanted to do. So I was like going to the gym uh, like at times, like twice a day, eating really healthy, um, cutting out a lot of things that, that weren't good for my body, um, for about eight weeks. Um, and that was something that, uh, that was kind of like very concrete goal. There's a, there's a timeline to do it. So I kind of put my all into that, into that campaign. And uh, I read that you like to bake. I do. Yes. So have you ever watched the great British bake off? No, I haven't. Uh, so this question, this question won't make sense, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Okay. If you had to win over Paul Hollywood to become star baker on the great British bake off, what would your showstopper be? What would you bake to knock his socks off? Um, so the one thing about my baking is that it's very much not, I don't care too much about how it looks. I only really care about what it tastes what it tastes like so i would say um i would probably make apple cobbler because that's that's the best thing that i've ever made i think all right well let's talk about princeton um so what is what's life like for you at such a demanding college and and how has that changed with the pandemic yeah so um the one thing that like Princeton was probably the academic level was harder than anything I had ever faced before, which was expected, but also a surprise. Um, definitely uh, was challenging, especially my first semester. Um, but I probably made some of my best friends throughout my my tough my toughest classes, just because we all kind of got together and worked on our our problem sets uh, what, together. What, what were the toughest classes? Um. There was a class called uh, Math 203. It was Advanced Vector Calculus. It was like multivariable calculus. That but, sounds that like, sounds hard. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So some of my best friends are are from that class. Um, but yeah, it was. I think it was really. I I absolutely love it. I'll I'll start by saying that um, I've definitely made some of the best friends um, in my life through through Princeton. Um, I think that like being able to manage my time was was really helpful because I was able to get involved with with a lot of different things um on campus and get involved at like very deep level um so at, on campus I'm I'm part of a a freelance reporting group um I'm part of a business club and I'm on the ultimate frisbee team as well as the chess club um so I like being able to manage my time well from high school was was super helpful in being able to let me 
do all of that while also like maintaining um, time to have a social life and, and hang out with friends and all of that. Uh, it's definitely tough at times. Midterms week is probably my least, least favorite week because you have the demands of classes and homework, but also have to go take extremely hard tests. But most of the rest of the time I, um, I really, I really enjoy it. I'm learning a lot and learning a lot of interesting things from a lot of really cool, um, cool professors. And, um, I guess COVID-19 has definitely not been fun. I don't think it's fun for anyone in anyone, but also people, um, college age are kind of coming back to coming back home and not necessarily having the freedom that they that they did in, in college where you can kind of just like, you can walk two minutes and see like your best friend. Um, so that would, that kind of transition was, was tough for me. Also the time difference was, was a little bit rough. Um, it's the three hour difference between Princeton and, and Cupertino. So I had some classes at like 9am, which required me to wake up at like five thirty. Um, so that was not fun. I think, but I think the thing that I missed missed most after coming back home was just like being able to see my friends like like every day. Um, now at home, I, I just don't really get a chance to do that as as often. Um, I I really hope that we'll be able to go back in the fall. Yeah. Um, it sounds like some of the skills you learned with chess were were very good for you know giving you grit and I guess time management skills and. Um, but I'm wondering if you think chess helped you get into Princeton. Yeah, definitely. Um, I wrote my I wrote my personal statement for college applications about um, about chess, and I think it it was my biggest extracurricular, basically for for the 13 years of my life um, be- between years five and 18. So it featured heavily in. Um, in my application and a lot of things that I was able to do. Um, I think that one thing that was important for me, at least when, um, when writing my college application essays was not focusing as much on, on your achievements because like after spending so long playing chess, like most people have, um, have, have things to be, to be proud of on that sense, but it was more focusing on like the skills that it gave me. And I think that really, um, made a difference was kind of talking about like what I gained out of doing this, this activity for, for so long. Um, and like, like you mentioned, like grit and time management were probably two of the biggest things that, that I got out of it. So last summer you spent the summer, uh, in the Midwest, you were trying to drum up donations for the business today, student organization of Princeton. So what was that trip like? It seemed like you were kind of roaming around the, the Midwest, just hitting people up for dollars. Yep, that's that's pretty much uh, that's pretty much what it was. Um, we we basically spent the entire spring um, spring semester cold emailing um, a lot of executives at, at different companies and set up meetings with about a hundred and twenty people. Um, so I, I was traveling with one other guy, my partner Felipe. He's from uh, Columbia and we basically we drove around we went to 11 cities in the Midwest in in 10 weeks um it was crazy trip a lot of fun learned a lot and really got to meet a lot of cool people 
definitely something I don't think I'll ever get the chance to do again. So I'm really glad that I had, um, I had the opportunity, opportunity to do it. So what, what do you think you learned from the trip? I mean, you said you learned a lot, but, but anything specific jump out at you? Um, I think there were a couple of things that were, that I learned. Um, one is just like how important being able to make, make small talk was, um, that was like, we were meeting executives and asking for, asking for donations for our nonprofit. And what that, what that really consisted of was talking to them for about half an hour, um, and, and pitching our nonprofit. But most of the time their decision was made within the first five, 10 minutes when you kind of like are telling them about themselves, um, about yourself, like making conversation. Uh, that was something that was definitely really important and something that I improved a lot on um, during the summer. And then I think the second second thing was just like all the all the different like industries and jobs there are out there. Um, like I'm an econ major, so like the the main main industries that most like econ majors, at least at Princeton, gravitate towards are like finance and and consulting. Um, but like going on this trip throughout the Midwest, meeting with like healthcare companies, um, companies that work in like manufacturing, in in metals, um, like executive search firms. There's all kinds of companies that I'd like never heard of, like did not know what they were doing beforehand. So it kind of exposed me to a lot of different things that are that are out there, and I guess kind of broadened my my career funnel for lack of a better word. Well, that, that leads me into, I guess my last quite, well, my second to last question. Um, currently, if, if I can uh, trust LinkedIn, you're doing an internship with Anheuser-Busch. So yes, that's right. What can you tell us about that? Uh, I, I absolutely like, I love the company. Um, it's, I think that their, their culture is something that really resonates with me. It, they emphasize ownership um, so much. It's like, something that they talk about every day. Like you take care of, of your own, of your own results. Um, you, you do whatever you need to, to make sure that the work that you need, you need to do gets done. Um, and like, that's something that I really value, like having people around me who are going to be working hard, um, to get, to get things done. Um, I wish that I was in, in St. Louis getting a chance to meet all the other interns and have, have a great summer. But, um, I think, everyone's kind of doing their best to make the internship as, as useful as possible, even while it's virtual. All right. Well, the last question and the biggest one, of course, what does the future hold for you? Where do you see yourself going with this? Will chess be a part of it? Uh, what does 10 years out look like? Um, I think at this point, chess is kind of really relegated to, to a hobby. Um, I, I like playing for fun, but I, I really don't have the time to to dedicate to really getting to the next level, which at this point would just be GM. There was a point my the summer or I guess late senior year where I was competing for for norms and I missed out on like a technicality. And kind of at, at that point, um, I, I decided that I would be focusing on on other areas. Definitely, will keep playing chess for fun. Um, might play a tournament. Here or there, we'll play like online with with friends. Um, 
but I think my focuses have kind of turned a little bit more uh, career oriented now. Um, don't know exactly what I want to do um, in the in the future, but something in industry right now. I'm trying to get a job in either consulting or or tech, but we'll see where where the future takes me. All right. Well, Vignesh, I thank you for your time, um, and I think everyone is going to enjoy your work in the latest issue of Chess Life. Um, with that, we will let you get on with your evening. And again, thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening to this edition of Cover Stories with Chess Life. Our podcast will return next month on the first Tuesday when we will again be making a deep dive into the pages of Chess Life magazine. US Chess is a 501c3 nonprofit organization whose educational mission is to empower people, enrich lives, and enhance communities through chess. To become a member, go to uschess.org and click on the join button where you can find a membership option that is right for you. As a member, you enjoy rated play, print and digital copies of Chess Life or Chess Life Kids, and you help US Chess grow the game. If you're already a member, consider clicking on the donate button at uschess.org. Our podcasts are produced and edited by Jason Andre at Seven Season Films Photography and Media. Please visit sevenseasonfilms.com to find out how to start your own podcast. Thank you and good chess. Chess.